eight. Or maybe a nine-year-old boy who hopes a friend invites him to a sleepover. Not for fun, just so he can have dinner. Or a 15-year-old girl who goes for walks over lunch so her friends won't know she doesn't have anything to eat? I am the one in seven American children who struggle with hunger. Kids you pass by every day but never knew were hungry. I am child hunger in America. Hunger can be hard to recognize. Learn why at IamHungerInAmerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America, 200 food banks strong. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your attorney, accountant, financial advisor, or tax advisor prior to investing. This show contains forward-looking statements that may not come true. Securities Investment Advisory Services offered through Grove Point Financial, member FINRA SIPC, Grove Point Financial and Kelch Associates are unaffiliated companies. And folks, this program is intended for Wisconsin residents only. Well, good morning and welcome to Saturday in the studio. And look at this. We are both in the studio. I'm Tom King. Merle Kelch is here, Kelch and Associates. Uh, and no alarms going off. That's that's right. If you uh, if you tuned into the show last week, Merle was doing the show uh, remotely from a hotel in, where were you again? I was in Oklahoma uh, Mi- or something? Mississippi. Well, Mississippi, that's yeah, right. Mississippi. So. You know, Tom, I got to tell you this because uh, you know, I'm 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 boasting about our product because I'm always pretty excited about it. So, Bose noise canceling earbuds. I've had them for years, and you probably don't know this, but when I first bought them years and years ago, we were sitting out in Sturgis, and I couldn't get any Wi-Fi except in my truck. And so I'm sitting in my truck with these Bose earbuds and the noise canceling, and we did a radio show, and there's Harley's going back and forth because I was out there, and we never heard one when I listened back to the tapes. So I got the same said noise canceling earbuds on. Yeah, um, in this hotel, and uh, the fire alarm's going off, folks. And the fire alarm's going off. I can't hear it. So Tom keeps saying I can hear the beeping. My assistant, who was at home, was talking to her husband. And her husband's texting me some stuff. Um, she goes, "What's that beeping?" And she's looking inside <laughs> of her house, and I could not hear it, folks, until he said it. I took an earbud out, and I actually said to Tom, "I said, hey, it's the fire alarm. I gotta go." <laughs> So, so Tom, uh, thank you for covering. Oh, I do appreciate it. Was there an actual fire, or did somebody just pull the alarm? Well, I, I don't know. I, I was, I was going down, of course, there, knocking on the doors, getting everybody out of the rooms. As so we're downstairs, and there's people still eating breakfast, and I went to the the gal behind the desk. I said, "Is there really a fire?" She goes, "You think I'd be standing here if there's a uh, fire?" Okay, somebody just pulled the alarm. Yeah, man. she said somebody's either smoking in a room or pulled an alarm. Ah. But nonetheless, um, I was out. We couldn't go back to the room, so I hopped back in. So, thank you for that. Um, I did send you a picture of the fire truck. I did so see that. So that was kind yeah. of fun. But yeah. I, was, I was hoping for lights. No All lights right. Well, we're here in the studio today, so we can take your questions. There hopefully won't be any fire alarms in here, but because I think we have a we have a sprinkler in here that goes off if well, there's a fire. Be, I think that that'd might be, be bad. Yeah, that yeah. would be really bad. Anyway, 715-845-2155, the number to call here if you have a question for real. Well, as long as you're going to start with talking about Bose noise-canceling uh, earbuds, is Bose a publicly traded company? Can folks invest in Bose? You know, I don't know. You um, would think you would if, if the product is so good. I mean, let's talk about that. I mean, we, know, it's, we've, it's true. Why wouldn't I buy that? Well, we've talked about yeah, this yeah, in the past yeah. where you look. There are people that base yeah. their investments yeah. on Peter Lynch. how yeah. popular yeah. Uh, products are or, or if the parking lot of a particular place is full. Uh, you can base your, your investments on yeah. that strategy. Does that work? Is that a good idea to well, do that? It certainly does. And, and now if you're listening, Chris, now's a really good time to give me the stock symbol for both like last week, you know. But, you know, uh, the thing is, it's a really good idea. Uh, Peter Lynch, folks, if, if you've been around investing for a while, 
Peter Lynch brought the Magellan Fund for Fidel- from Fidelity uh, family up to prominence and, and brought it to be this big behemoth money-making thing. And one of the biggest things he said is you buy the products you know and like because if they're good, other, people's might like, other people might like them too. And so, therefore, it might be a company that's going to make profit or you think is going to be good, bad, whatever um, uh, goes along the way. And so, um, on that, uh, he would say, you know, his biggest thing was look under your cabinet. What do you use for cleaning supplies? You know, what's inside of your cupboard? And that's one of the big things that he would do. Now, Warren Buffett, who is, of course, in the news, um, uh, uh, you know, new money, new profits coming into his Berkshire Hathaway, he did the same thing, except he would just buy the company, not the stock. You know, so he said, well, that Coca-Cola is some pretty good stuff. And then he just, you know, ends up buying the company and buys a whole bunch of Apple and other stuff. So he just buys the whole thing. Bose is a privately held company. The majority owner is the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. MIT owns Bose. Huh. Bought, bought it from the founder, Amir Bose, who invented all of those cool headphones. Well, it stuff. could be the reason that they have all this really cool technology. Yeah, absolutely. Which, by the way, if you're in a hotel, only put one earbud in <laughs> and you go to bed at night. Uh, um, you know, I, I've, yeah, I've used these things on planes, and uh, they've stopped making this model, and it, and it it bugs me that they did because they're so good. And, uh, you know, most airplanes you still have to plug in yet. So with a cordless, it makes it difficult in which to do so. You know, we've we've talked in the past about your investment strategy for your clients. And maybe we can just, since we're on that topic, talk about that again. Mar- modern portfolio theory, mm-hmm. as long as we have some time today. And which, the by phone- the way, I did not invent. I'm not smart enough. Right. The yeah. phone lines are open, 715-845-2155. If you have a question about your portfolio or a financial question, today would be the day to get it answered. Modern portfolio theory is what you base your investment strategies on. I guess mm-hmm. for the folks who haven't listened to this show for years and years and years, and again, why not? Um, explain what that is and how that is supposed to help people get the maximum amount of return for the least amount of risk. Yeah, first of all, Tom, in us doing this over 20 years together, I'm just impressed you actually brought up the term modern portfolio theory. Well, I've heard it enough now. You know, yeah, so well, welcome to capitalism. It's this called is osmosis, beautiful. you know. Yeah, it's working. So <clears throat> modern portfolio theory is, is born out of Harry Markowitz and Merton Miller, uh, which essentially are the the godfathers of modern investing. So the reason, folks, if you take a look at your 401k and you're seeing stuff like small cap and mid cap and large cap and growth and all that sort of stuff is because of these guys. So uh, in a nutshell, uh, they began a study in the University of Chicago in 1950. They ended their study in 1980. So how's that for perseverance? 30 years. And from it, a lot of their techs and the guys that worked with them, Roger Ibbotson and Rex Sinkfield and these guys, who are the modern, uh, you know, pioneers of other stuff in the investment world, um, worked with them, and they themselves have gone on and won multiple Nobel Prizes like Merkowitz and, and uh, uh, um, Merton Miller. And so, so with it, you know, these guys just found um, some really neat stuff out about diversification, and largely it's because of their hypothesis. So when they started at the University of Chicago in 1950, they were simply asking, is the stock market efficient? And that was, in essence, what they wanted to do. So they tracked all the stuff going up in small caps and mid caps and values and growths and this and that. And they tracked all the stuff and said, is there some meaning to the madness? And they found out that the answer is that there is. There's ways that you can construct a portfolio to get the best return for the least amount of risk. Um, and so from that, they've you know plotted graphs called the efficient market frontier, um, this is now the backbone with Morningstar with value lines and how this is all done. Morningstar and value lines make it really, really efficient because they have all this collected data for, you know, uh, decades and decades on individual stocks and then, you know, the stocks in different places. So it's made it so that the market is not necessarily more predictable on a daily basis, 
but you have a general idea where it's going to go over a certain period of time with a certain mix of assets. And, and, and over time, and I'm 30 years in this business, and, and, and it works. It just works over time. And the most difficult part uh, is all of this is, is, is stopping the knee-jerk reaction because that's the thing that screws the whole thing up because it takes your uh, the probabilities against you when you do so. So uh, modern portfolio theory is that backbone for everything that you see in your 401K and how investing works, how uh, state pension funds work, how federal pension funds work. It all works based on this stuff. Because again, you, the the math doesn't lie, you know. Well, I mean, but portfolios are different for everybody. So modern portfolio theory answers the questions of what is different for a twenty five year old as opposed to a forty year old as opposed to a sixty year old. Um, yes and no. So so let me uh, address that in two different ways. One, um, if we're seeking to have the best return for the least amount of risk, modern portfolio can help us answer those questions and what. A portfolio might look like. Now we seek for the best rate of return, least amount of risk. That's no different than somebody who is 20 years old versus 120 years old. Um, they want the best return for the least amount of risk. Uh, the the difference really kind of comes in is what's the overall volatility of a portfolio. You might have somebody who's 20 and says, "Well, I want 100% inside of the stock market," um, and so then you have that you know efficient market frontier, that best place. Um, you might have somebody who's 120 years old that says, well, I only want 20% in the stock market. But that mix and that combination of how you invest that equity portfolio uh, very well, uh, at least in, in theory, is the same for one person versus another. It's just that it's smaller or bigger. So um, you being 35, Tom, <laughs> and me being 65, ah. uh, we might have different percentages that we might have, let's say, inside of the equity marketplace. Uh, but the basic core that you start from remains the same for everybody, just bigger or smaller parts. Now, um, I've had uh, seen a lot of experiences over my 30-some uh, years in this business. And I, I call it stacking. I'm sure there's another term for it. We'll see people that will do stuff like this. They'll put some money in a stock market, and they say, well, that's my risky stuff. And then they'll put a whole bunch of money inside of CDs because they think that um, the CDs then take the risk away from the stock market. Um, and, and in all reality, it doesn't because we just went through it in a long bearded time here where CD rates were so low, we weren't beating inflation and taxes. And now with inflation being so high, we're certainly not beating inflation and taxes. Um, but when we stack them up on two different sides and on two different ends, um, that's not giving us the best rate of return for the least amount of risk. Um, in fact, uh, the rate of returns we're getting are subpar for the risk that we're actually taking because it's all the stuff in the middle that we're missing as far as a diversified portfolio rather than having the extremes on both left and right as far as growth and then uh, non-growth. So and, and modern portfolio addresses a lot of the stuff. Now, it's a bunch of reading, folks, to get there. Um, or seek a qualified financial professional. Thanks for me. I put that out there. Um, but um, but it's the mix of all of it. And so from that then, all the other terms that we hear is like, mu hear like mutual funds and annuities and stocks and bonds and um, uh, ETFs and all that sort of stuff, all they are is instruments to get us hopefully to that place of modern portfolio theory. So that place of modern portfolio theory, trying to get that quest of best return, least amount of risk, can be done in almost any investment vehicle that's out there. The investment vehicles just simply have attributes that we might need for our personal life. You mentioned CDs. Jesus, that sounds good. <laughs> you mentioned CDs. With the inflation rate where it is now, shouldn't the interest rate that CDs are paying be higher? Uh, and is that happening? They uh, almost never are. Um, CDs, Why is that? I mean, you would think that if the inflation rate is low, CD rates would be low. But if well, the inflation it's, it's rate like is anything. high, CD um, rates would be high. 
it, it's it's almost like anything. You're paying for the amount of risk, and you're receiving a rate of return for the amount of risk you're willing to take. So if you are going to take an investment that's riskless, um, your rate of return is going to be almost nothing, and that proves to be the case. So we look at treasuries, or we look at CDs that are guaranteed, um, you know, through FDIC or money market accounts. With a riskless trade, that interest rate is enormously low, going up, going up a little bit right now, but it's almost low. If we're willing to take on a little bit of risk to try to beat inflation, well, now we have a little bit of risk of volatility. And if we really want to beat inflation, um, now our risk keeps going up and keep going up to be able to beat that inflationary rate. Um, CDs, money market accounts, savings accounts have never been uh, designed um, and have never beaten inflation and taxes. Um, they just have not. Um, so why would anybody time, use every them? Every once in a while. Why would anybody use them? For somebody who doesn't want any volatility or risk. Yeah, but you're losing money on them. Doesn't matter. Some people just don't want volatility or risk, you know. So they're willing to lose money to take all of the risk out of their uh, portfolio. Lots of people. Yeah, yeah. Well, that yeah. Does, that doesn't make any sense at all. Well, lots of people do. I mean, that's just the nature of the beast. You know, some people don't. They want to be able to sleep at night, and it's all really that sleep factor, honestly. I mean, you can construct a portfolio from my end as, an, as a financial professional. Boy, I guess got to. I wouldn't sleep name, at but. night if I knew that I had an investment out there that was losing money, and even though it had no risk involved, it was losing money. Why would you even but put any the money into it? The perception of most people isn't that they're losing money if they can still see it. You know what I mean? <laughs> but the numbers keep going down. It's, it's a, um, uh, but the, the money in the, the can in the backyard is even worse. Right. You know? um, but, I mean, the value is not going down in a CD. The spendable power is going away. Right. But the value is not going down. And a lot of people, they see that. They trust that. They uh, want that. Well, don't most okay. people look at the spendable power and the value as the same thing? No. No? Most shouldn't people they? just look like, shouldn't they the though? value go up or down in the bank? That's Should, it. Shouldn't they look at those two Absolutely things at the same thing? Absolutely. Okay. Should. All right. Yeah. 715-845-2155. We're going to take a break. We'll come back with more. If you have a question for Merle, give us a call here. We'll be right back on WSAU. Hey, wouldn't it be great if life came with a remote control? You know, you could hit pause when you needed to, or hit rewind, like that time you knocked down that wasp's nest, Uh or that time you forgot to roll up your windows in the car wash. Fantastic. Yeah, a remote control would have come in handy then. Well, appropriate for you, consult your attorney, accountant, financial advisor, or tax advisor prior to investing. This show contains forward-looking statements that may not come true. Securities Investment Advisory Services offered through Grove Point Financial, Member FINRA SIPC, Grove Point Financial, and Kelch Associates are unaffiliated companies. And folks, this program is intended for Wisconsin residents only. And we're back. I'm in the studio along with Merle Kelch, Kelch and Associates in Wausau. 715-845-2155 is the number to call. Well, the first month of the fourth quarter is in the books. What did October look like uh, for the average investor? You're going to choke first? Uh, you, uh, I'll back I, i'm not sure i can do the heimlich maneuver on you so you're on yeah, your own well, there. i just jump <laughs> <laughs> you know uh we had a record october now most people looking at it, still senior september statements going geez the world's falling apart i'm gonna die um, i'm never gonna have any money just wait till your october statement comes um uh, i don't have the exact number from in front of me but um, we're right about october for the dow at least up some 14 percent for the month so one heck of a month. So why? Uh, well, you know the, the numbers sort of coming back. You know we're we're not in a recession. Um, we're growing. Um, we're having expansion. There's some um, green shoots of inflation starting to come back down. Boy, so, the political advertising wouldn't let you know that, would it? 
No, it's because it's political advertising. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> so we got some green shoots. I'm not saying that inflation is not going to come. I still feel it's going to. Um, the Federal Reserve now finally, of course, this past week took interest rates of uh, another three quarters of a percent, 0.75. Um, and in doing so, now puts us into the range that the interest rates um, are now constricting to the economy. So the target rate for that uh, was believed to have to be around 4% before it starts actually tightening or constricting the economy. Um, it's uh, assumed that the Federal Reserve in December is going to go up by another half a percent. Um, and now the ad- odds makers are starting to come out and say another half a percent coming up in February. Uh, they take January off because apparently it's too cold in Jackson Hole. That was an attempt at humor. Mm. Um, so, so with that being the case, we're now getting to the point where tightening is finally going to start coming in. Um, some evidence is starting to show that the interest rates that are going up now are starting to go through inside of the economy. Uh, we wouldn't know it by jobs and that type of thing at this point in time because the job, of course, uh, job numbers came up pretty good. Unemployment numbers are holding up pretty good. Um, so that's working. So I think we're finally hitting some normalcy. Three-minute stations. Term. Um, we're hitting some sort of a normalcy for uh, uh, being back from the pandemic, you know, all this uh, you know, touted job creation that we had. It wasn't job creation. It was people going back to work. I think the stuff we're seeing now is more job creation because we're starting to get some supply lines starting to come back in again. Um, so so we'll see what happens in the next few months. I find it interesting, though. But I think we're kind of coming back to some normalcy after the pandemic after all this time. There was an interesting story on uh, CNBC this morning about uh, the Christmas season. Obviously, most retailers make most of their money in the third quarter of the year. Uh, and there was a story that suggested that a lot of people think it's going to be a good Christmas for retailers this year, but some retailers are moaning a bit because it seems that consumers, instead of buying more stuff, they are using their disposable income for travel instead of purchasing stuff. And that, of course, if you're not a hotel or an airline or something that's involved in the travel industry, is not helping you very much. Yeah, um, boy. I've been traveling a ton here lately, folks, and, and just for all kinds of crazy reasons. But uh, the latest one is we, we uh, uh, my wife and I, we drove our camper down to Florida. She's going to spend a little bit more time in the winter down in Florida, which she's happy with, visiting with her sister, and she's got her, uh, one of her best friends down there. So she said, I think, well, rather than renting a place, we'll take our camper down there. She took it down. Um, boy, what a great treat paying for all that diesel at 10, gallon, 10, 10 miles per gallon. I'm going down there. Oh, don't get me started on big oil. We got into that during the break here. (laughs) Well, they took some for me. So so in the process of all of this, we're looking at, okay, how are we going to plan the flights coming home for Thanksgiving and, you know, Christmas and that whole bit? How are we going to do that? And we're looking at flights one way that are $600. And we're just like, what? I mean, the the prices are so inflated. I get it because of, of, uh, you know, fuel prices because we're having a shortage of diesel fuel and airplane fuel is essentially a – a modified diesel. So so I get that part, uh, but I think just the demand is driving up the prices uh, like crazy with people getting to move around. And is it that they're moving around or they just want to find something to spend money on? I'm not sure the answer to that part yet, but, yeah, travel something. Well, the whole, whole idea is that, uh, you know, you're told now to uh, enjoy life with experiences and not just buying more stuff that needs yeah. to be stored and moved and all of that stuff. Let's sneak a phone call in here before the news break. Good morning. Who are we talking to? Hi, my name. I'm Jim from Plover. Go ahead, Jim. Hey, Jim. Uh, getting a little echo here. Are you? Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, something that was puzzling you, Tom, a while back. I have a different take on things a little bit. Of course you let's do. Let's say. Let's say. Go ahead. Okay. Okay. So let's say two years ago, you got some money. You're thinking about stock market. 
so I jumped in it. And then the stock market in the last two years was just wonderful. And you think, oh, this is great. And then things turn around. You know, Dow is, what, 36? Now it gets also under 30, whatever. So you think, oh, look at all the money I lost. I believe you never, you didn't lose the money. You never had the money. It was on pieces of paper or it was on your computer screen. The only way you had that money, that you had that value, is you cashed it out and somebody put that in your hand. Until that point, it was just ciphers somewhere. And you put confidence in it. It was never your money. Same thing with you have money in a CD or something like that. Low rate of interest. You do eliminate the risk. <clears throat> oh, but inflation is burning up. Well, the only way the inflation affects, not totally, this isn't totally correct, but in the most part, I believe the only way it affect, <clears throat> inflation affects that is if you spend that money, if you save that money and live a low lifestyle like I do, only spend what you have to, the inflation is going to give you a knock on what you spent. But the stuff you didn't and you're holding Inflation didn't really affect it because hopefully you wait it out, inflation goes down. Just like people with their equities go down and say, oh, I'll just hold those because I think it's got to go up. Well, same thing. You got money in savings. Well, guess what? Inflation is going to go down and I will be restored. So I think it's kind of equivalent that I think that's what a lot of people think. You don't get too excited about what's on a piece of paper. It only affects when you act to spend the money or when you sell the stock to get your value out. Other than that, it's just scratchings on a piece of paper. All right. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. I mean, does Mark Zuckerberg and, and Elon Musk feel that way when they lose paper value of you know, millions and millions of dollars? It's just numbers on a piece of paper. You, you know, it's interesting. And, and Jim, thank you very much because I'll, I'll touch upon a point. You're talking I'll tell you about. what, think about that for a second. We'll take a <clears> news break. It. We'll come back and dive into it after the break here on WSAU. This is a St. Jude moment. And in Wausau, 95.1 WSAU. I'm Tom King, and we're back in the studio with Merle Kelch, Kelch and Associates in Wausau. We had the call before the break talking about uh, how money isn't really worth what we think it's worth unless we have it in our hands, that being a paper billionaire like Elon Musk or Mark Zuckerberg doesn't really mean anything. What's your take on that? Well, there's a couple of different things in here. Uh, one, I want to go back to Jim's comment and saying, well, you know, we just wait for inflation to get better and then we'll, uh, you know, we'll be fine. We don't have to worry about some money coming out. And so, so with it, there's a, there's a big thing that's, that's kind of wrong, Jim, with your thought and, and no mean to offend, but just think about this. You know, if we look back at, um, uh, for many people, uh, certainly Tom, your parents, maybe even you, we got married and said, "Hon, I know the house isn't much, uh, but someday I'm going to buy you a hundred thousand dollar home." Um, and now your parents lived in it and they never moved. You know that's inflation. Um, we used to do this uh, study when we do classes a number of years ago, and it'd say, "Well, the average car at that point in time was thirty-two thousand dollars, and based upon where inflation is going, the average car is going to eventually be about sixty-eight thousand dollars." Then you look around for a truck, and, and you're, it, it, it's there. I mean, it's not difficult. So that's what happens with inflation. We don't see it, but the prices go around us, even to a, a loaf of bread. I bought a loaf of bread at Aldi, and it was still over $2. And I thought it would be a whole heck of a lot cheaper at Aldi. Good bread, by the way. Well, you, you buy the good bread, it's more expensive. That, for some reason in this country, um, empty calories and bad food are cheaper than good calories and good food. 
And uh, and we wonder why we're so obese and out of shape in many cases as a society. I'm not out of shape. Round to shape. <laughs> what? It, it, it just it, it 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 rankles me, and I'm sure it rankles other people that if you want to eat healthy in this country, you're going to spend a lot more of your income on food than you would if you wanted to eat unhealthy. Processing makes stuff cheaper. Uh, so we look at this, and so you ask the question: Do you think like Zuckerberg or Musk um, or Bezos? Do they notice when their accounts go down and their value drops so much? Well, first of all, I always stop back to this. We'll have clients, especially inside of the Economic Times that we are right now, where the market's going so crazy. They'll say, look how much money I'm losing. I said, you can't look at it in, in, in numbers because it'll drive you absolutely nuts. I said, look at it in percentage. We're down this percent. Um, and I said, so is that percent bad if we look at it in any other thing other than money? No. I said, so now you got to take it out of your mind. Otherwise, you're going to go crazy. We're down this percentage. You know, we take a look at it, we hold on, we're going to be fine. Um, but it's a percentage we have to look at. <coughs> Excuse me. So now if we look at this from Zuckerberg or Musk or these guys, I'm certain they're, they're uh, you know, looking at percentages. I'm saying tongue-in-cheek because you know, if you go down, you know, 10 or $20 billion, I'm fairly certain you know the number, you know, but uh, it'd be interesting. But uh, Probably, but it, like it, anything, does, it, it really doesn't affect their lifestyle that much when they go down that much, as opposed to somebody like us who, you know, would lose the same same percentage, and it would affect us greatly. Oh, certainly. I mean, when you're ultra wealthy, you, you don't care if you go down because it's not going to change your lifestyle. Well, I think you care. You just don't. It doesn't hurt. You know, you, you don't feel it as much. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's a, you know, I look at it and think, well, the Musk doesn't even own a house because he doesn't want one. You know, so he can be fluid and go wherever he wants to. So I, I always think, well, where does he live then when he goes? As long as we're talking about Elon, do you, you have any more comments on? on yeah, go ahead. Yeah. As long as we're talking about Elon Musk, um, I find it fascinating that and somebody somebody tweeted this yesterday, ironically, uh, on Elon Musk's new acquisition, that uh, it's fairly astounding that a guy supposedly as smart as Elon Musk doesn't realize that most of the people buying his cars and most of the people driving content on his new acquisition are left-leaning or liberal. And that to watch him scream about the stuff uh, while he's lighting $44 billion on fire because there's tons of people leaving Twitter because of his stance on things, uh, that it's kind of shocking that he doesn't understand his audience and his uh, customers uh, like he does. I mean, for a guy that's supposed to be that astute to be that, Tone deaf is kind of interesting, don't you think? Um, maybe it's because of the tone deafness that, that makes us work. I, I think he bought in a, bought a hornet's nest. Um, I think he would have been better off going with a lawsuit to see if they forced him to buy or not. Um, Twitter was already a problem before he got into it. So we'll see. Um, I think he's making a lot more money on SpaceX now as far as personal cash goes. That'd be my guess. Uh, but, yeah, it, it is interesting to me. You know, I had another thought. And, and, folks, we're just going down a rabbit hole. We're waiting for your calls. So if you have any calls, give us a call here, 715-845-2155. But here's a rabbit hole I thought of. Um, Young man, nephew, uh, wants to go to school because he loves cars and auto mechanics, and he wants to be one of those and that whole bit. So I was having the old uncle conversation with him yesterday. And then uncle conversation, I said, here's some of the things you have to think about. I said, if if all this works out that everybody's going to be driving an electric vehicle within five or ten years, uh, what does that do for you for a job? I said, you're going to be in a job that's going to have a – seemingly a forever shrinking um, product list. I said, if people are going to be electric cars, what's inside of electric cars? He goes, electricity? I'm like, aha, now that sounds like a better career path. Um, and so uh, we're having some conversations about that. And so you think about this. So let's say if we end up going entirely green, and I'm not saying we should or shouldn't, folks. That's not for me to decide. 
But we have to think about this. Um, um, what's going to happen with then the gas station on a corner um, with the Jiffy Lube and all that kind of stuff? All that stuff is going to change. Will it exist? I don't know. But, I mean, it's all going to change. Well, so I mean, if everything. they're smart, they'll they'll switch over to charge, being a charging station. And let's face it, most of the gas stations these days make most of their money selling snacks and yeah. milk and bread and beer. I would, as opposed I would think, to, you know, with the amount of time it takes to charge, I'd end up having a, um, a trick, quick trip with a theater in it. You know, okay, to, to stop or a bar. Yeah, a or bar. A bar. Why don't the bars put in charging stations? Now you're talking. Hey, Tom, we got something. Seven one five eight four five twenty one fifty five. Let's go back to the phone here this morning. Good morning. Who are we talking to? Hey, good morning. This is Jack. How you doing today, Tom? Morning, Jack. Hey, Jack. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I just want to make a quick comment. You were talking when I got in the car. You were talking about uh, the price of food and how. Um, you know, you mentioned, Tom, that uh, more nutritious foods tend to cost more. And I would agree with you on that. You know, if you're going to go to a Panera for a really nice lunch, it's going to cost you more than if you uh, stop a quick trip and get a cheeseburger. However, I, I would say this, um, the, the most inexpensive way to eat very nutritious food is to buy it and prepare it yourself. If you buy a bag of dry beans or a bag of rice or, or oatmeal or a whole wheat flour and you prepare it at home, uh, that is by far the most inexpensive way to oh, live. No, and, yeah, uh, no doubt. The problem is most Americans don't want to take the time to do that. They want mm-hmm. the convenience of processed food. So even if they're making stuff at home and not going out to eat, they're still eating crap because it's cheap. <laughs> well, and, and, and it's and convenient. Here's, and here's here's the problem that we have uh, that that could you know bring in a lot of discussion, and that is uh, the cost of living, which forces a lot of. Uh, you know, two parent families where they're both out working just to, you know, uh, you find out that one of them is, is really just working to pay taxes. Uh, but I think you would probably agree also, and I'd love to hear your remarks or comments on this, is that we don't teach uh, as much about homemaking skills in the schools the way we used to. And we get a lot of kids, they're coming out of school and they don't know how to prepare a meal. And that's why they're uh, going out and buy it and pre- prepared for them. Uh, that that that's probably true. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. I don't I don't know how much they teach. You know, home ec- they, we called it home economics back in the day, and it was mostly uh, girls who were taking those classes. I re- I remember I did take. They did have a cooking class for guys in high school, and it was almost it was all guys in the class for for whatever reason. But I'm not sure what they're teaching as far as that stuff goes now. But I think he's right. Not only in the how to prepare food, but just the basic basic stuff that you need to live. Now, you know, schools can't be everything. There's no t- not enough time in the day to teach everything, all right? So mm-hmm. some of this stuff should be taught at home, right? Absolutely. I mean, and, and, and most kids today are being taught Eat Street. Yeah. <laughs> that's, right. that's right. How do you make dinner? A reservation. That's how yeah, you make dinner, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that is a problem, no doubt about it. Hey, I'm going to win the Powerball jackpot tonight. So, what should be the first thing I do when I become a, a billionaire? Call me, and I'll send you <laughs> on the right path. You know what's what's interesting about this is is uh, even my wife and I had a conversation. She goes, "So, if you win the Powerball, what are you going to do?" I said, "Go to work." She said, "Why?" I said, "Because if I change any sort of a pattern, people are going to sus- be suspicious to start with." Ah. So the first thing I do is I keep going to work, and then I start calling attorneys, and then I'd magically move to Florida. You know. Um, so you look at this stuff and, but one of the, the, one of the large winners that were just out there, um, they won and they didn't announce who they were. Um, and they, and the reason they didn't announce who they were is because they got all the stuff lined up before they actually turned in the ticket. Um, I think their, uh, attorneys uh, said, you know, we have the winner, we know who the winner is. How about hold on? So 
I don't know if they moved to Florida or if they moved to Washington or had their residence up there, so they're you know, saving state taxes. Um, but they certainly had everything set up inside of a trust um, so that uh, they didn't have any you know, extra stuff they had to do, and they took care of the trust immediately, all that sort of thing. Um, and that'd be the direction I would go. It, you know, if you win a billion and a half dollars, you don't have to worry about investing it right away. You're going to be okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, how are you going to do it as far as tax standpoint, setting it up, trust, that type of stuff? How do you uh, yeah, change my phone number, all my email addresses? Those would all be different. Yeah. You know, and I'd give that phone number out to everybody except family. You know, they wouldn't get that because, you know, I'd be their new best friends, all of them. You know how this goes. But otherwise, I'd, I'd go to work. That's how I'd start it off. All right. Let's go to the phone here this morning. Good morning. Who are we talking to? Uh, John. Go ahead, John. Morning, John. Hey, Merle. I got a question for you. Uh, yeah. You were on a subject last week before we got interrupted uh, <laughs> on the, the hydrogen uh, yeah. as a fuel. And you were talking about this company in upstate New York or wherever yeah. they are. I know which company you're talking about. There's a couple players in that hydrogen field. Uh, None of them make, or neither of them make any money right now. And between the two of them, there's somewhat of a different uh, production method and different directions they're going. Um, You seemed like you wanted to talk about that last week before we got cut off and I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. I'll just hang up. All right. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Yeah, uh, John, I I think what we're going to end up being, and this is this is the Merle Kelch Swami hat, okay? I think the direction we're going to end up going for our locomotion in the country, um, and probably globally, is going to be some sort of a hydrogen hybrid. You know, the, the synergy system that, uh, that Toyota came out with, I think is a fantastic system where you have a small engine charging a battery pack. I think it's a great idea. I think it works out well. Initially, I don't know if you remember that, but Toyota originally set it out if you wanted to have it be gasoline or if you wanted to be diesel. You could choose whichever one, another. The diesel would do biomass, too. That was their original design that they had had. I'm not sure if they're still doing it or not. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me if we see some sort of a hydrogen variant of that. So um, we have batteries inside of the vehicle as well as we have some sort of a hydrogen tank firing a small engine that's going to run the diesels. That would be really efficient, in my opinion. Um, so the hydrogen, of course... Um, um, getting that perfected is, is coming. And there's a lot of companies, you know, we talked about it last week. Hyundai's got a um, couple of vehicles that are running around doing tests. I mean, that's almost as clean stations. as it gets, right? I mean, it, that's about as wa- clean as water comes out of your, your Yeah, you still, you still have to create the hydrogen, uh, which you're using electric, electrical power for that. But then your hydrogen is, is on par with diesel, meaning the amount of uh, energy you put into the hydrogen, you, you get it back out coming the opposite direction. Uh, you go out to a, a filling station, you fill your car full of hydrogen, you, you hop up and you go. You don't have an hour or two hours uh, worth of waiting around. Um, and at the same time, uh, you don't have to put a huge um, tax onto the grid of electricity to make it work. And so so I think hydrogen is, is going to be the direction that we're going to see ourselves go. I think a lot of car manufacturers are making mistakes, and we're going to be all electric in five years. I think they're really making a mistake because I, I don't think – electricity is going to be the end all. I think it's going to be a part of it. So hydrogen, we have to watch for those companies, uh, John, because there's a number of them that are out there. Um, uh, they're getting it right. Um, but I think there's still a lot of design in the engines and how they're going to make it happen. Well, would today be the day to get into them on the ground floor, so to speak, before they do bust yeah, out? Yeah, you would think so, but there's not a lot of companies that are out there that are public. You can't go through and say buy it. Like the, the company that I, I, I've done a lot of reading on, I follow them still, 
called Hyzon. You can't buy the stock. It's public. It's, that's the reason I can mention her name. You can't buy the stock, folks. It's not publicly traded. Um, but but I like the designs that they're doing. I mean, they're doing the big trucks, and why? Because the big trucks are able to handle the weight at this point in time that they need to have your hydrogen tanks. And, and so with it, um, again, your byproduct is water, and it cleans the air along the way, depending upon what version of a hydrogen um, uh, uh, mechanism, albeit an engine or a cell, that they're using. So, so I think that's the direction we're going to end up going because it seems to make the most sense. I'm guessing we don't have nuclear fusion in a micro sense ready to go yet, so it's got to be uh, – uh, that was an attempt at a joke there, Tom. Too bad we don't have Tony Stark around to work yeah, all these well, dog bugs it? out. Yeah. You know he could do that stuff in a you know, prison cell. So. All right, we're going to take a break here. We'll come back with more. If you have a question for Earl, give us a call. We'll be right back on WSAU. Neil Armstrong waited six hours and 39 minutes to step onto the surface of the moon. Jackie Robinson waited 20 months to play his first news talk. WSAU. And we're back in the studio. I'm Tom King, along with Merle Kelch, Kelch and Associates here in Wausau. 715-845-2155 is the number to call. What else do you have for me this morning? All righty. Well, it was a conversation from Mark Cuban. This is an actually an article from Cheyenne Devon. It comes through CNBC. Um, our market watch, though we signed up, isn't working right, so we got to figure it out. Nonetheless, um, it has something in here that um, I've had a conversation about, and if we go into a recessionary event, I want to you know, tell people, and if you don't know this, uh, tell your kids, your grandkids, whichever the case may be. But you know, in here, uh, Mark Cuban suggests, he says, you know, he said, you, if you use credit cards, you just don't want to be rich or you don't want to make any money. Credit cards are such a terrible thing during a recessionary event because the interest rates are high. I mean, you don't have the spendable power, and then for a lot of people, you end up getting laid off. And so the conversation that he goes through here says, you know, even if you pay your credit cards off each month, he said it can be difficult to do. And sometimes people say, well, geez, I can't do it. I'll float one more month. Well, then you're paying a bunch of interest. So the biggest thing that he's talking about in here is to make sure you pay off your credit cards along the way. Saying in here, national average rate now of 16.65% for interest rates. And this is a conversation he's having with Dave Ramsey on the Ramsey show as far as an interest rate goes. So you think about it in this instance, you know, many people this year inside of their investment accounts are down anywhere between, you know, 16 to 24%. Um, um, and then you're trying to make up for that. And then you're also paying, you know, 16 plus for interest rates. That's Why don't we see more competition when it comes to the credit card industry? I, I would think that um, if a credit card came out and say, we're charging half of what the other people are charging as far as interest goes, people would flock to a credit card like that. Why don't you see that more? Well, what happens is it becomes literally a, an issue with credit card companies because they know that a certain percentage of the credit cards are going to default and not pay. Right. And so for them to make a reasonable profit, they have to have such a high interest rate because of the ones that fall off. I actually have no people that are in that industry. And so um, that's the reason you see them at 25 and 35 and 30% because they know that a third to a half of them are going to default and not pay. Seems to me it's the, sad, the, the, the credit card beast. industry is not hurting, though. They're not hurting. They're making a nice profit. You know, when you take a look at a lot of corporate America where they're making margins of anywhere between, you know, 6 to uh, 8%, you're seeing the credit card companies making double that plus. They're not starving by any stretch of the imagination. But their default rate is high, and it goes up during recessionary events. All right, we're out of time for today. If folks want to get a hold of you on Monday, how can they do that? Well, Monday I'll be in D.C., but the office will be open. i got to go to the belly of the beast for a conference for two days. Ah. Ugh. Anyway, um, so I'll be there. Um, I'll be back in the office on Thursday, but the office will be open Monday morning. Stop in, say hello, and hi. Mary will be gracing your presence in there. Have her make a cup of coffee that will etch the paint off your car. So you're going to be in Washington, D.C. on Election Day? 
Um, I will be. Enjoy yourself, will you? Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> All right. I'm fairly certain I'll find bourbon. All Third right. Avenue and Bridge Street, 715-849-3600, or find us online at kelchinassociates.com. All right. We've got Badger football coming up. An early kick today for the Badgers as they take on Maryland in the rain and wind of Camp Randall Stadium. And Badger, Badger game day begins coming up in just a couple of minutes at 9 o'clock here on WSAU. ADHD. It's the child who can't pay attention or sit still in school, right? The answer may be 